0: Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right. So thankful you guys are here today. Um, Mike, um, he did so well a couple of weeks ago preaching here that uh, he is at uh, their former church preaching this morning. Um, and I told him not get lost to get his tail back over here after he does that. So now he, he is pre- he is filling in for the pastor that's on vacation. So it's always great to, to do that. So hey listen we're going through a through a new series called Big Questions. Um, big questions that concern uh, God, the Bible, and life, and so what I'm going to do this summer, just so you guys know, uh, if you're uh, not a regular attender or you don't know how the whole thing flows, or you've been coming, but you've been, we've been going through the Book of Romans. Uh, how this whole thing goes is, is usually I try to choose a book of the Bible to go through during the year, and then I, um, what I do is, is I try to choose a book of the Bible to go through during the year, and then uh, during the summer I try to do a, a series that's more topical uh, to to get some uh, just a uh, Give you guys a little bit of break from from doing verse by verse, but also to give some practical applica- ap- applications. It's a hard word, applications for some um, for some uh, um, uh, people that maybe need uh, me to address certain topics and issues and stuff like that. So today the question is this. And by the way, let me tell you a couple of the questions that we're going to be dealing with. Um, um, we're going to deal with uh, what will heaven be like? That's going to be one of the questions. What's heaven going to be like? Um, We're going to deal with, if God's so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Um, That should be a very light topic that we just cover, just breeze over. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We're going to deal with, uh, should, next week actually I'm going to talk about, um, can a Christian who's following Jesus, can they drink alcohol? And should they drink alcohol? And also, what about tattoos? We're going to, we're going to deal with those. So, um, and there's, there's more that we're going to be covering. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to give you guys that heads up. But I want to, I want to probably, today's probably going to be more of a talk than it is a, a, a sermon. Because I want to uh, be very vulnerable with you today. And I want to share, you, share my story with you a little bit. Because today's message is this, it's, if God is so good... Um, then why am I still depressed? If God is so good, why am I still depressed? And so I want to share some of my story with you today. I want to I want to chat with you and share some of my story. Whenever I was whenever I was 20, uh, 29 years old, around twenty nine years old, I uh, I was laying in bed uh, and at around two a.m. Um, I was awoken immediately whew, out of a deep sleep. Um, and whenever I woke up, I, my pulse, I could feel my pulse racing out of my neck and on my rear, I could feel it boom, 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 boom. And so I, I, I started checking my pulse and my pulse was racing at 150, 160. It was, it was rolling. All right. We were getting there. boom, 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 boom. boom. And I kind of freaked out. And so I got up and I started uh, kind of pacing a little bit. Uh, ended up, after about an hour of freaking out, um, my wife's, uh, Wendy's, Wendy's dad's a doctor. And so I called him in the middle of the night. Um, and he kind of talked me down a little bit. Um, and he gave me some pointers and things. And so to make a long story short, the next morning I decided I was going to go to the doctor. And get checked out. And so I did. I went to the doctor and I got a complete physical, got checked out, uh, got everything was, was, was checked and everything was, seemed to be okay. <clears throat> and then he started asking me more questions uh, of a psychological nature. Well what about this? Well what about that? And so long story short you guys he diagnosed me with uh, anxiety and depression. And uh, after about an hour, hour and a half of talking to him he spent a lot of time with me. And now, mind you, you have to realize, I actually worked with kids and and had worked with adults that dealt with anxiety and depression, but I did not think I dealt with those things. I did notice that a lot of times what I would do is is I, I was always very worried about my health. I was always very worried about about my pulse or my blood pressure or so on and so forth. And I realize now that a lot of that came from my mom. A lot of that came from, you know, how she was raised. And a lot of that came from, you know, kind of, she gets obsessed about that, those things too. I laugh about it now with her, but, but back then it wasn't really funny. And so what I did is, is I I went on some medication uh, and I I went on some medication. I was on that medication for a week and I wanted to run through a wall Like I I was so angry a lot. (laughs) I was very angry. uh, And I was like, usually I wasn't a really angry person. So, I was like, well, I don't think this is working. And so, I just didn't take the medication anymore. And I just stopped it. And I said, I'll be fine. I'm a dude. I'm tough. I'm good. I don't have to deal with this. And so what I did though is I I, I decided that uh, I would start you know working out again, and so I did. I started working out a little bit and and here and there. Uh, and I was in I was doing I was the trainer. I was the HR director and the trainer of a children's ministry, a large children's ministry. We had over hundred staff members. It was a huge facility, two hundred and sixty some odd acres. It was awesome. Uh, we usually dealt between 100 and 150 kids a day. It was great stuff, and. Um, Anyway, I was the, the HR director and the trainer for, those, for that facility, and I was doing a training. I was specialized in training about de-escalation, all kinds of stuff, but I was doing a specific training one day for new hires. There was about 15 new hires up there, and I started doing the training. This was about six months after the first incident. I started doing the training, and when I started doing the training, I, I began to feel myself not be able to breathe. And I began to sweat, and my hands began to sweat, and I, I kind of freaked out. And I said, Hey, everybody, let's take a quick break. And I did take a quick break, and I went down to the main office, and I got one of my buddies, and he and I started talking. And then it, one thing led to another, and I ended up going back to the doctor that day. Uh, I left the training, went back to the doctor. And once again, um, they diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. Uh, and I said, "Well, I said I, I, that's fine, but I'm, I'm not going to take I'm not going to take antidepressants because I tried that once and I wanted to run through a wall and I, I, I hated it." So anyway, so he said, "Here," he said, "These are pretty strong. Take some Xanax." And I said, "Okay, cool." Um, my mom called those nerve pills. I don't know why she called them nerve pills, but that's what she called them. She still calls them nerve pills, actually, Uh, because sometimes when I talk to her, she goes, "Ah, I gotta take a nerve pill." Anyway, so, um, so, but, so, he said, "Anytime you start feeling anxious, just take one of these." Those suckers worked a little too good, to be honest with you. Um, So, anyway. I, I basically was like, you know what, I don't want to get dependent on anything, and I surely don't want to you know, walk around as a, as a, as a 29 or 30-year-old popping Xanax. And so I, I did that for a few months, and I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and then things were pretty good for, you know, for six months to a year. Um, I did notice what I would do, though, is, is I, would, I would come in in the afternoons. I would come in in the afternoons after work, and I would take a nap. For about an hour, hour and a half, and then I would get up and I would go throughout the night. Then I wouldn't sleep really good that night because I'd taken a nap, and I kind of got in a cycle of doing that, right? At this time, also, Wendy had gotten pregnant, we had a kid. You guys know how kids can mess up your sleep patterns. Um, and so, um, if I wanted to take away the stress, having a kid was not the answer, all right? Let me just say that. I know, right? But it was a joy, it was a joy. And so I, we, we, we had, a, we had a, a, a wonderful, beautiful ginger-headed baby. Uh, and that was fun. So, but, uh, right, right Blake? <laughs> anyway, so, but we did. And, and so I let that kind of slide. But what would happen is that I would have episodes. And these episodes would be almost like, well they would be panic attacks. I'd be driving, and immediately I would feel like I'm going to die. And I got to the point where I was obsessed with checking my pulse all the time—five, six, seven times an hour, all the time. And so I decided that the best thing to do is—is is to. Uh, I had a situation where I was—I uh, was doing a lot of work with adults, but I really wanted to do more work with students. And so I decided that the. The stress, the stress of the job I was in, um, and the how much responsibility I had was was weighing on me too much, and so what I ended up doing is, is I ended up quitting that job. I actually quit with no job. I said, God, if you're going to, if, God, you going to provide me a job, and I, I decided I had gone back to get my master's degree in education, and I decided I was going to teach. All right. That will tell you the mindset I was in. I thought I was going to leave a stressful job and go teach that would be less stressful. Right? With middle schoolers. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Anyway, so, and lo and behold uh, I did do that. I did that for almost four years and that didn't help either. Uh, I would go and I would go home in the evening, afternoons. I would go to sleep. I would mess up my sleep patterns. Um, Anyway, I would go see my doctor, and I would talk to my doctor, and then he would say, "I want to put you on medication." And I said, "I'm not going on medication. I've already tried that. I want to run through a wall." And um, so I ended up being called to ministry here in Georgia, and we ended up living our life. And I lived my life for probably I would say seven years, eight years, just on a roller coaster. Um, you know, I, people always say, well, I was faking it. You know, this is how depression looks and it's all happy. Oh, I wasn't faking it. I genuinely was happy and I loved, I loved people. Uh, I loved being in this ministry. I loved being in the student ministry. I loved teenagers. I can't stand them now, but I loved them then. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up, I ended up um, being a pretty good student pastor but there was this thing that continued to gnaw, continued to gnaw, continued to gnaw. And finally I, I, told, I told Wendy, I said, hey listen I'm going to go and sit down. We had, I had a Christian doctor, a godly man, and I said I'm going to go sit down with him and talk to him. And so I sat down because I was like, you know, I find myself being a little obsessed about things. I, I, I think I may have ADD or something. I think it's, I need to get my brain right. And so uh, I went and sat down with him, and I talked with him. And, and to be honest with you, he was very forceful with me. He was very—I um, needed it. He was very—he knew me. Uh, he was—he was very uh, confrontational. He was—he—he he wanted to know. And then he said this for the third time. Uh, third doctor said, "Brother, you don't have ADD. You don't have ADHD." He said, "You have anxiety and depression. You have generalized anxiety disorder and depression." And I said. Yeah, I've been told that a couple of times. He said, Well, why don't you listen? And he knew I was a pastor. And he he said, Why don't you listen? He said, You help everybody else. Why don't you why not you allow me to minister to you? And so at that moment, I decided that I would finally, I said, Now listen, the last medicine I took, I wanted to run through a wall. He said, Well, here's why. And he explained to me why. And long story short, guys, I went on I went on medication. Um and I had been on medication for about two weeks, um, and um, Wendy said, you're a different person. And I said, was I that bad before? She said, no, you weren't that bad before. But if you ever stop taking this medicine, I'm leaving you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She thought it, but she didn't say it. No, seriously. So I started taking this medication and I found myself, it's one of these things where and I can't explain it. It's one of these things where where you you the things that you used to worry about you don't worry about as much anymore and you can see more clearly and you can feel yourself dealing with the stress that's coming in. You can feel it, and that's how I felt. Now I'm gonna tell you I hated the medication. One of the things that the medication did is I had worked really hard to get into shape. Not a shape, shape. All right, <laughs> to get into shape. And one of the things that he said was, he said, "Hey, listen, you're going to gain weight on the medication." And I said, "No, I've, I've already been working out, but now you're going to gain weight." He was right, and I hate that. What it does is it slows down your metabolism big time. All right, but while it's slowing your metabolism down, it's also slowing down your brain and it's reconnecting things in your mind that I didn't realize, but I had probably been there since I was little. As a matter of fact, I've been told that it was hereditary. And I see now the history of my family. And so, I started taking the medication and I did that for a long time. And, and then uh, I decided that I was going to get off the medication. And I did. I got off the medication for about six months. And I went back to the doctor because I wasn't doing well. And he said, all right. He said, you need to get back on your medication. And so, I did. And sure enough, I started feeling better again. But and most people don't even know this. Uh, Lynn knows it, but most people don't know this here. But the summer after we planted the church uh, in 2016, I decided that I was going to wean myself off the medication, and I was going to stop taking the medication. And I did that for a year and a half. I was not on medication for a year and a half. But I started struggling, and I started and it just one of these things where it just didn't quite fit. And so finally, uh, I told Wendy. I said, "Hey." I said, let me chat with this because, yeah, I said, hey, I think I'm going to go get back on my medication. I promise you, her exact words were, thank God. That's exactly what she said. I could still see her saying it, thank God. I said, why do you say that for? She said, because you've been unbearable. Go get your pill. Anyway, so, um, I did. I went back and I talked to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, he said, I want you to know something. He said, he said, most of the time people have what they call situational depression and anxiety. And he said, what that means is, is that you go through these periods and then, or there's a traumatic event that happens and you get off, but, but you, you get off of the medication and you're fine for the rest of your life. He said, I want you to know that that's not you. He said, what you have is, he said, you have a constant low level of anxiety and depression. If normal is here, then you're right under the surface. And, And so, when you go, when you get low, you get lower than most people. Does that make sense? And so, all the medication does is bump you up just a little bit. And he said, I think it's hereditary. He said, usually we try three times. But after the third time of having to go back on it, most of the time you're on it for life. So I decided that at that moment, that unless God does something different, that I was going to do what I needed to do in order to be the person God wanted me to be. And then I realized that it was hereditary, and that it was nothing I had done. It was no experience or trauma that I had had. I had a great childhood. Uh, some of my other patterns I could see and things in my childhood, but you know, I shared before my dad was an alcoholic, uh, and that definitely weighed in some but the reality is is that this is a disease that was passed down just like other diseases are passed down through heredity it really was and the doctor confirmed that and so what's interesting is is that even on the medication there's still high days and low days and i want you to know that it's interesting because because uh, and it's really weird how this all happens. But but about once or twice a week, I wake up and it'll just be, I, I like calling them gray days. It's just a little gray, you know what I mean? And I kind of stick to myself a little more. I kind of, you know, I try to deal with it, but I try to, you know, do the things I know to do. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, the, trust me, if you're new here, this is not like Barry on Dr. Phil. But uh, um, I, 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 I really deal with those things. But uh, just so you guys know, uh, this week, Friday, you know, there's nothing in particular going wrong, everything's going right. Friday was just one of those gray days, and then it went into Saturday, right? So, and this morning I woke up and it was gray, but the last few days have been kind of rough. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling it's because I knew I was going to be teaching this. And it's something that you know. Paul Paul says uh, that that he has a thorn in his flesh, and he said I've asked I've asked God to take it away three times, and He said no, my grace is sufficient. And so for me, dealing with this, God's grace is sufficient for that too. And I want you to I want you to know that. But that's kind of my story. And I don't know if you guys know this or not. Did you guys know that seventy percent of pastors deal with depression and anxiety? I don't know if you guys know that or not, but seventy percent deal with depression and anxiety, and it's probably because we as pastors rarely have people that minister to us. Are you with me? And we really have people rarely have people that pour into us. And, and we also are people that are helpers. And we wear our feelings on our sleeves oftentimes because we want to be helpers for people. And so it's a natural thing when you pour out and pour out and pour out. Especially some of the emotional things that you have to deal with with people when you pour those things out. And you're not pouring back in. Then what ends up happening is, is you end up caught in this cycle. And that's what happens with a lot of pastors. The great thing is, the bad thing is, is a lot of pastors don't want to share it because they think it's a sign of weakness. But see, I got to be honest with you. I think me sharing this today is a sign of strength. Am I crazy? I don't think so. I think it's a sign of strength because I'm being completely transparent with you because there's been so many people that have come here and that have heard my story, and they've said, gosh, if the pastor can share that, if he's dealing with that, surely I can share it. Surely I can tell people. Surely I can go do what I need to do. Now, there is a there is a story in the text of the scriptures that I want you to read. We're going to read through it real quick together. But let me set the stage for you. You've got Elijah the prophet, and Elijah the prophet is is he has done great things for God. He has been challenged challenged by these false gods and and there's just duel it's almost like this duel that you see you know of who who is the real god you know who is the real god and god shows up and he like wha-bam, fire rains down from heaven and elijah just kills all of these false gods and false prophets he kills all these false prophets and all of a sudden, one of the guys goes back to, goes back to the, the, their leader, uh, and the leader was Jezebel, goes back and says, hey, this is what Elijah did. And then Jezebel says, well, we're going to kill him. And then we pick up the story in, in Kings, 1 Kings 19. Here it is, when Ahab got home he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. So, Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. (laughs) He went to Beersheba, uh, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Just as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and jars of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So, he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days, that was a miracle by the way, 40 days, and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. And I just want to tell you guys this next section is one of my most favorite sections in the Scriptures. I love this section. But but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What he's saying is is this: They were like, Listen, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you, what are you doing hiding in this cave? And he says this, it's very simple. He says, I want you to know something, dude. He said, I, I have, these people have, have for, they have went against you. They've said these bad things against you. They've killed all these people. And, and, and I'm the only one being, I'm the only one being obedient. And here I am, depressed, upset, in a cave, and you're not even taking care of me. That's basically what he was telling him. And so God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elisha? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too." And the Lord whispered to him and said, Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. There you, are, you will arrive. There, uh, when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of uh, uh, Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, Elisha, son of, uh, of Shaphat, uh, from the town of Abel uh, Meloha to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will likely be killed by Elijah. And then he says this, and I love this, yet I will preserve seven thousand others in Israel who were who have never bound down to Baal or kissed him. What's going on here? Well, Elijah is depressed. He has run. From a situation where he thought he was going to be killed, and he is depressed. If you notice something about what has happened, there is a great victory, and after coming off that great victory, there is fear and depression because he has forgotten the great victory that God gave him in the text before this. There was great victory, he's depressed. We're going to go through in a second what it looks like. But what are some other people that have been depressed in the Bible? Well, Proverbs 1225 says this. Proverbs 1225 says this. Do we have it up here? There it is. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word, though, cheers a person up. I want you to leave that up there. Wary wears a person down, but an encouraging word cheers people up. One thing that we do really well. In society, is put other people down. One thing we're really bad at is being honest with someone and encouraging them. I want to take a little side note here and tell you this. If you've got people that you love and care about, if you've got friends that you care about, instead of being critical and instead of waiting until they're gone to go tell someone else how great they were, why don't you tell them how great they are? Why don't you encourage them? Why don't you thank them for what they've done for you? Why don't you, an encouraging word cheers a person up. What else does the Scripture have to say? In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, it says, Then Jesus said to this, He says, Come to Me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He says, Take My yoke upon you and let Me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. And then 30 says, For My yoke is easy to bear. The yoke there is the teaching The teaching, what he's asking us to put on, what he's telling us to do, that is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. The burden I give you is light. Who else was depressed? Well, in Numbers chapter 11, Moses experienced depression. In all the Psalms, we see David experienced depression. We know that Job experienced depression. We also know that Jonah, sitting under the tree, experienced depression. Depression. So, if God is so good, why am I still depressed? Let me tell you the first thing is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Don't forget that it's all about the redemptive process that we're going through right now. See, the world was lost with no hope, and Christ came. And when He came, He offers salvation, still does today by the way, He offers salvation for all. That salvation makes us a citizen of Heaven over here. The problem that we experience, and we're going to talk about this in another, in another sermon that I'm, I'm going to do too about why bad things happen to good people. The problem that we experience guys is that Getting from here at salvation to here at perfection. There's a middle ground. While the the soul and spirit are here, the body is still here, and the body still has to go through and experience all of that which is still a fallen world. We are still living in a fallen world. And so, just because you become a a, a saved person doesn't make you immune from the disease of a fallen world. I want you to get that. The trials and tribulations of a fallen world. That's why he says, not only you'll be in the world, but you you, you, you you won't be of it. All right? You're not going to be of the world. What does that mean? It means our perspective is different. Why? Because we have a hope that is secure What is that secure hope? The secure hope is, is that when we literally take our last breath, we will be absent from the body, but present with the Lord. But in the meantime, we're living in what's called the age of grace. And the age of grace is the time at which God is calling people to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And because we still live there, we still experience that fallen nature Have you ever wondered why the scriptures say that we will get a new body? Because this body that we live in still has the fallen nature. We are saved. We are saved. We are saved for salvation. But the sanctification process lasts the rest of our lives. And so we have to experience the same things other people experience. Can God do miracles? He absolutely can. I've seen them. He absolutely can. I love it when people want to put God in the box and say, no, he can't do this. This has passed away. Baloney. God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. Absolutely. But the reality is, is that we still experience these things. We do. Because we live in a fallen world. It's interesting because there's, whenever I was in Haiti, there was a little bit of turmoil going on. And we went to Port-au-Prince. To go back and get on the plane to come back home. When we were in Port-au-Prince we went past the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Haiti. It was very nice. It was raised up very nice. So, if we would have went into the embassy we would have been able to get into the embassy because of the status of who we are. We're an American. Here's my passport. I can go into the embassy. The Haitians can't do that. Why? Because they are not American. See, the embassy is a little piece of America plopped down on foreign soil. But here's the issue that little piece still has to deal with all the turmoil on the outside. And oftentimes that turmoil. Comes to the inside. And we're no different. We are citizens of heaven, yet we are plopped down in a world that is still wretched with sin, that is still suffering from the causes of sin, which is disease, turmoil, strife, and on and on and on. And people always say, well, Can't God do something about this? And I tell you, God's already done something about it. He sent His Son to die for you and I so that we can experience not just temporary life, but eternal life with Him. He's already done something. He's already spoken. It's already happened. The problem is, is that people don't want to listen. So, when people don't listen... It's it's kind of unfair to me that when God's already provided the solution and you don't like the solution so you reject the solution and then you want to blame God because he did he allowed something to happen where he's already provided the solution. We don't have a political problem in America, we have a spiritual one. Big time. Big time. We live in a fallen world. The second thing is this. We have a common enemy in John 10:10, 10, 10, here's what it says. John 10.10 it says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. I want you to hear that. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But in turn it says my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another version says an abundant life. I want you to get that because I want you to understand something. A lot of times circumstances that happen to us we want to blame other people and the reality is it is the enemy. And we think that the devil has a pitchfork and a long fork tail, and the truth of the matter is that he does not. That it is the enemy. We are at war. It's all about redemption, and we are redeeming what was lost, and God's using us to do it. And so we have an enemy because he doesn't want that. So, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means it means that on Friday and Saturday, I dealt with some pretty bad depression. And I'm preaching this morning on depression. But I identified very quickly. I was like, oh yeah, should have known, should have known you were going to show up. No, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not going to mope around. So you know what I did? Can I anybody, you, know, you guys know what I did? I went out and I took the doors and the top off my Jeep. You know why I did that? Because I like doing it. And I like driving around with the wind blowing through my hair <laughs> on my arms. It's like, phew. I do. I like it. Makes me feel free. And I like cranking up the music too, by the way. It's not Sandy Patty either. It's like something more boppy. Is that a word, boppy? I think I meant to say pop, something more pop. But I like cranking up the music. Why? Because I don't want to sit at the house and overthink anything. And so that's what I did. You have to recognize the same thing. You have a common enemy. You have a con- common enemy. The next thing is this. And this is a big one, and this was a big one for me for seven years. We refused to do it God's way. Let's be honest here, guys. We have a common enemy, and we refuse to do it God's way. We don't ask for help. We refuse to go to counseling. We refuse to take medication. And we ask God to heal us, but he provides ways to heal us. And what we really say to God is, is God, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it another way. And the other way, by the way, is your way. And that's the truth. We think that there should be some miraculous thing that hits us on the head and that solves the problem that we have. But the truth of the matter is is that God has provided. He has provided. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but God is the creator of doctors. He is. He's also the creator of therapists. He is. He's also the creator of medication. He is. The issue is, and this is true for me, is that most of us are too prideful to take that step and admit that we have a mistake or we have an issue. Listen, do you think it's really fun for me to go down? At the time, it was First Baptist in Noonan, to go down to First I know those, some of those preachers that are at First Baptist. Do you think it was fun to go down? And I traditionally don't drive a car that's not very, I don't drive a mundane car. I'll just leave it at that. It's usually orange or some other obnoxious color because that's sort of how I am. Do you guys think that it was hard for me to go and park and to walk over to the counseling office? It was tough. It was hard. Do you know why I did it? I did it because that was the way that God was going, that was the person that God was going to use to help me. I'm not going to be someone that's going to sit and tell you, oh, I think you need to go to counseling and not be brave enough to do it myself. The truth is, is a lot of times we don't want to do it God's way. We don't want to change and we don't want to, oh, oh, I'd have to do that. I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to go tell the doctor that. Oh, I can't do that. And so, what you do is, and I know we don't want to really talk about this, but what you do is, is you live in misery every day. And I've said this before, but you create your own little prison and you put up curtains, a rug, and get a coffee maker. And you live there. Instead of wanting to do something about it. And the people around you, while they're not going to tell the truth and tell you this, the people around you are miserable. So, everyone is walking around your pride in the house trying not to step on it. We refuse to do it God's way. I want to give you some practical applications here. Okay, I've got them up there. Here's some practical applications that I want you to, I just want to go through these real quick. The body, soul, and spirit are all connected. I want you to hear this. The body, soul, and spirit are all connected as one. I want you to see what God did for Elijah. You would think that when when Elijah was running away, he finally got so tired that he just fell out. So, you would think that he would say, Elijah, get up. Get up and let's go. He didn't do that, did he? You know what he did? He said, Elijah, look, here's some food, here's some water, drink, and then take a nap what He said. That's what He said. You need rest. He knew, God knew what we're now finding out, that the body, soul, and spirit are all connected. And so, you can't be out of line in one direction with your body. What am I saying? I'm saying you can't eat junk all the time, and you can't not do anything, and you can't sit around and binge Netflix all day every day, And think that you're gonna have have a healthy life. Can't do that. You cannot do that. They're connected. They're connected. The next thing is this you have to take care of your physical vessel. Take care of your physical vessel. One of the things that I did on on Friday and Saturday is I decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to go out for a walk, and I did. I wanted to get out in the sun, and I did. Can I tell you how much I did not want to do that? Like, I'm just telling y'all, I mean, it felt like that my backside was glued to the couch. And every time I tried to get up, I did not want to do that. But here's the reality. You have to force yourself to do it. And you're like, "Well, well, why can't God just, listen... You have to force yourself to do it. God's provided the answer. You have to be willing to do it. The next thing is this you have to feed your soul and spirit. How do I do that? I'll tell you what I do. I read scriptures and I also read a book, try to every day, 10 pages. Some kind of book that connects with me, some kind of book that connects 10 pages a day. You have to feed that. You have to feed. Your soul and spirit, because they're all connected. The next one is you have to seek a medical doctor for a diagnosis and medication. God provided the doctors; He also provided the medication. Listen on this one, y'all. Don't be stubborn and prideful. And the fifth one too: seek a Christian counselor. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful to do that. And the final thing is this: you have to remember that you are not alone. I want to. I want to say that again: you are not alone. It's funny because as a pastor I get to see the good and the bad in most people. All right? I get to see the good and the bad. I get to walk through life with you guys. And I get to see your positives and the graduations and the weddings and all that stuff. But I also get to see your bad where there's, you're, you're depressed or there's things that have happened and there's struggles, there's trials, there's tribulations, whatever. I get to see both of those things. And the funny thing is, is that everyone in here right now thinks that they're the only one that's suffering through this. And the reality is that if you knew how many people were in the same boat you're in, you would be more quick and know that you're not alone. And you would understand that that's what the body's for. That's why the scripture says that as the body, we're supposed to build each other up, bring each other up. Can we go back to that scripture in Proverbs? Can we go back? Sorry to throw you a curveball. Proverbs 12 25. It's the first one. Worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word, an encouraging word cheers a person up. It does. I want to say something real quick as I close. I want to say this. One of the things that, that even families here and I have dealt with in other, in other churches uh, is, is sometimes you get to the point of depression where you may contemplate suicide. And if you ever feel that way you need to contact somebody. You can call me. You need to call somebody. Because here's the thought. The thought is, is that if you decide to commit suicide, that you would, you're taking away all the problems. The problems go away. That's not what happens. What happens is, is that you you take your problems and you put them on someone else who's left to deal with and pick up the pieces. That's what happens. So, if you feel that way, Just know that you're not getting rid of anything. You're just passing it to someone else. So reach out, help someone. Reach out and be someone that someone can call. And if you're that person, reach out to someone that you know. And we'll walk through with you. We really will. Trust me, I've been down the road of depression and anxiety. There's absolutely no shame, there's absolutely no pride. Whatever. It is what it is. The only thing I can do is I know that in this moment, for this age in my life, for this time period of grace, until Christ comes back and we experience the perfect, I'm going to deal with these things. But God has already provided a way for these things. And I have to be obedient enough to say, yes Lord. I'll do whatever you ask me to do and put my stuff aside. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can deal with such a heavy topic, but that we know, God, we know that you have a plan and a purpose. We also know that we have an enemy. And God, you, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, we know the enemy is already defeated. We just have to embrace that for ourselves. We have to embrace it. And so, God, my prayer is, is if there's anyone here that's suffering from depression, if there's anyone here that has a family member that suffers from anxiety or depression, if there's anyone here who has those issues, God, I pray that they would be bold enough to step up and to literally embrace what you've already done for them. To, be, to put their pride aside and to go see the counselor. To put their pride aside and to, and to go see the doctor. And to say, nope, I'm not spending another day living like this. I'm going to embrace what God is trying to do for me. And God, who knows, maybe today's message was exactly what they needed. But I pray, God, as always, that you would be in the midst and that you would walk through the battles with us. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.